you know, next week is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And so if you're, I don't know if you were with us the first week of January, but we kind of, we talked about the purpose of the season of Epiphany is, uh, is you have Advent, which is the, pr- the preparation for the light of the world, and Christmas is the celebration that the light of the world has touched down. And then Epiphany is just this um, season in between Christmas and Lent, which is a season of just letting the light be before you. And, and Epiphany means kind of to reveal, or if you've ever had an aha moment where you've seen the light or you've had an Epiphany, it's just kind of the reality of, of learning something new. And so my intention as a pastor has been, hey, let's put Jesus, the light of the world, in front of us during the season of Epiphany and let him shine light on us personally, but also as a, as a church. So one of the, the results of that is that over the past um, couple of weeks, um, we've had times where we can learn what Jesus is saying to us, but also to talk practically on, well, what does that mean for our church and how can we um, grow in response to what Jesus is saying? So the beginning of the month of February, we had Vision Sunday where we where we said, hey, what would Jesus say to us? And we kind of had that letter, shared our ministry plan, shared what 2019 looks like for us. And so if you're new and you'd wanna, you want to know, hey, what's our, what, where's this church going? Uh, I encourage you to get that ministry plan that I mentioned, or you can go online and download it, or you can listen to that sermon on, I think February 3rd was the day. And then last week, we talked to, we looked at the church of Sardis, I think, which had, um, they had ceased to look forward, and they had just stopped um, taking risks, and were like resting on their reputation. And Jesus says, I know you have this great reputation, but you're dead. And so we kind of use that as a springboard to think about, well, what does it look like for us to not rest on our reputation in the past, but to look to the future, and how can we um, honor Jesus by investing in the future? And the number one way that is with our kids. We talked about the importance of kids' ministry, and we've got some uh, information on the back called Little Liturgy, if you want to learn about kind of the importance of that. And so um, this week is going to be like threefold. We're going to look at the letter to the Church of Philadelphia, and um, we're going to learn personally from it. Um, but then also, we're going to, it gives us a chance to talk about, well, what does this mean for our church, and how could we apply the message to the Church of Philadelphia, to us, like right now? And then also, the, the third thing we're going to do is kind of start talking about preparing for the season of preparation, because you always prepare to prepare, which is the season of Lent is, is coming upon us. And um, I want to encourage you to be thinking about um, how you are going to spiritually prepare your heart for the highest point of the Christian worship year, which is Easter. And Lent is very important to me because if you don't have the season of preparation, you just, Easter comes and, and you're like, there's this great day, uh, but if you're not really preparing for it, it could just miss you and you can feel like you're, you're missing out on something. And so since we've been practicing Lent for maybe, I don't know, five or six years, it's made Easter so much more profound. So um, we're going to do those three things. Personally, what's the Lord saying? to our church, what's he saying, and then some preparation for Lent. So let's go to Revelation chapter 3, page uh, 1029. And we're going to read um, the epistle that Jesus sent to this church in Philly. I think it's Philly, right? Philly, Philly. All right, we're going to start in verse uh, 7. And let's go. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, 
who shuts and no one opens. Here's what Jesus says. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in a temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Generally, when someone says, this is the word of the Lord, you say, thanks be to God. There you go. You're just learning. It's okay. It's all right. So uh, kind of some interesting information about this letter. Is this the second and only letter um, out of all the seven, um, two out of the seven letters um, that don't have any um, admonishment? A lot of the letters have, hey, this is what you're doing well, affirmation. This is what you're not doing well, and you need to address it. We call that admonishment or correction or teaching. And uh, this letter doesn't have any correction. No correction. Um, the second letter has no correction, and this, the second to the last letter, has no correction. So basically all Jesus has for them is these words of affirmation, which is really awesome. My love language is words of affirmation, so this is my favorite letter. There's, there's no correction in it. Um, whenever I was studying these last year, out of all seven letters... The letter to the Church of Philadelphia was the one that stood out to me the most for our church. Um, I think you can learn from each and every one of those churches because human nature hasn't changed a whole lot in um, you know 21 centuries. Um, but this letter to Philadelphia was the one that really resonated the most for gathering, at least in in my reading of it. And so um, I really think we can learn a lot from from this letter. A little bit of context about the ancient city of Philadelphia because there's some things um, to know about Philadelphia that would give you some understanding in what Jesus says. It is now it's called um, Al-Shahir is the, the name of the city today. And we got a picture of what it looks like uh, today. It's alive and well. That's um, you know the ancient city of Philadelphia in Turkey or Al-Shahir. I'll show you a map of all seven churches so you can kind of see geographically how these churches related to one another. Um, on the bottom left of the image, you see a, a purple circle. That's circling the, isle, uh, the island of Patmos. That's where John was um, exiled to, which is where he got this vision and heard the voice and wrote um, to, the, to the churches. And then the circles, um, the red circles, are where all the seven churches are. So you can see regionally how there's this close, um, you know, close proximity I don't know if you, you probably can't read, but um, the bottom left circle is Ephesus. Above that, Smyrna. Above that's Pergamum. To the right is Thyatira. Below that is Sardis. And then the big one off to the right is Philadelphia. And then the one below that is Laodicea. So you can kind of see 
John's over there, but he's got some oversight, apparently, of these churches, and Jesus is speaking to him about these. So that kind of gives you um, a little bit of information about that. There's a really cool amphitheater there still today that has kind of stood the test of time. And look at that, isn't that amazing? Um, if anyone knows of one of these amphitheaters close by, let me know. We'd, we'd love to use one of those. Um, and then um, also there's, there's another cool um, uh, picture here which is like a famous sighting if you were to go and take a tour, like in a Holy Land tour, you'd, you'd come across this. There's, there's these ancient pillars. And Jesus mentions that he'll make these people pillars. And so anytime you, you talk about Al-Shahir or the ancient city of Philadelphia, inevitably these pillars, uh, those are giant columns really, um, will come up. So um, the last thing to know about, about Philly is that they were in an area where there was volcanoes all around them, and the city was built on a geological fault line, and they experienced earthquakes every day. And so um, the result of that is that people would often flee the city, and they would go out of the city, and eventually they just started living in tents because they wouldn't come into the city because there wasn't any stability. And so when Jesus talks about the new city, the new Jerusalem, in that there, you will be a pillar, you will be this the symbol of safety and honor, and that you won't have to go out anymore. Um, if you read it again, knowing the geological conditions of the city, Jesus is speaking to their primal fears of, hey, we don't have a stable place to live. There's these pillars crashing down all around us, and we keep having to leave the city um, because of these earthquakes, and, and Jesus is speaking directly to what's deep in their heart on that. So pretty cool. Read the letter again, and then we'll go through it. You'll, you'll pick up that theme. Let's look at verse 7 um, to start off. Um, what's cool about each of these letters, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Jesus um, changes the way he describes himself to each of the uh, churches. Um, he doesn't describe himself as um, the same. And how he um, describes himself is very, very important and strategic to whatever that church is going through. Here there's this, there's this phrase where he says, um, you know, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Now today we read that and like, I don't understand the, the reference there. But um, if you know Isaiah 22, there's this uh, messianic prophecy in Isaiah 22, verse 22, where Isaiah says, and I will place on his shoulder the key, which is keys are symbols of authority, uh, if you've got a key to your house, you have the authority to enter that house. If you don't have the key to the house, you're trespassing, right? Um, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one, uh, and none shall shut. He shall shut and no one open. So this, um, when Jesus is, is talking about this to the church of Philadelphia, he's referencing this little truth here in Isaiah 22, that he is the king, he is the Messiah, and he's got the authority to open and close anything, okay? Now verse 8. He says, um, I know your works. So this church is busy doing something. And then um, here's the part that really um, stands out to me. And when I read it and studied it, um, resonated the most to me for us. Where he says, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, the idea of an open door generally always means a missional opportunity or an evangelistic opportunity. Even now, when we speak of um, 
you know, maybe looking for a new job. We go, is that door going to open or does that door shut? And we speak of the, this, this, uh, in, this metaphor of open door, closed door as uh, opportunity. And what Jesus is saying to Philadelphia is saying, I am, I am making an opportunity for you that no one can shut, okay? And it's going to be me. And, um, and then he says, I know that you have but little power. And I, I think of our, our little church. Uh, um, you know, we're not a powerful church, you know? Um, you know, a lot of people might look at our size and not think we're very significant. I don't believe um, that size equals significance. But um, look at us and go, man, you know, whenever I meet people, and they say, hey, what church are you from? And then the number one question they always ask is, how, how big is your church? And I tell them. And they always, they're, like, they're always disappointed that, like, we have a small church. I, don't, I got over that a long time ago. Thank God. <laughs> I, like, I like a small church. Um, but for some reason, yeah, you have but little power. But yet you've kept my word. You've been faithful to my word, and you've not denied me. And I think that's a great description of where our church is today. In verse 11 and 12, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. So you got to get that sense of, of architecturally and geographically. They're, they understand going out of the city and pillars falling, and Jesus says, no, 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 because you've been faithful. If, if, you, if you persevere, I'm going to make you a pillar, just this stable thing that holds things up. I'm going to give you honor, and you're not going to have to retreat out of this place. Like, there's going to be stability here. Um, it's great. And then um, verse 13, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what's great is uh, um, uh, Christopher always makes this chalkboard that's over here, and it has this, this line, He who has an ear, let him hear. I didn't tell him to do that. He just, he just did it, and, and um, I'm, glad he did, I'm glad he chose that one. Because it's easy to read these letters in Revelation and go, that's not for us today. But Jesus actually says, no, if you have an ear, let him, like, no, no. If you can hear, it's for you today. And even Revelation 1, 3 starts off, blessed is the one who hears these stuff. But, you know, and so there's a blessing in, under, in studying Revelation. Um, but also, verse 13 tells me, hey, this message that Jesus gave to the church of Philadelphia, modern-day Al-Shahir, it's for us too. He says, let him hear. So if I could paraphrase, I'll just go back, and if I could paraphrase what Jesus seems to be saying to these churches, here's how I would paraphrase it for us. I see your ministry and how you're working hard. I've opened a door that no one can shut. I see that you're not strong and powerful. I know that you're faithful to my word and that you've endured faithful, that you faithfully endured hardship. I kind of would, if I had the ability to summarize and kind of paraphrase that. That's, that's what I'd say. So um, I think personally, um, as Tiff was talking in our call to worship, you know, she said, we're all waiting for something. We're all waiting for something to happen, or we all have some need. And um, in all of our lives, we need God to open a door in some way, shape, or form. Now, I don't, I could like guess what those things are. But I have no way of truly knowing, okay, what door do you need Jesus to open? I don't know. But that would be one thing is, what do you hear the Lord saying to you in here? Um, is there an opportunity or is there something where you really need the Lord to like prepare the way and to do the heavy lifting and to, um, you know, in the midst of your weakness, be strong? 
Now, that's something to dig into. Now, I don't know what that is, so I can't really dig into that. But I want to um, transition and dig into what does this mean for our church? If Jesus is saying to, to us, hey, I'm opening a door, and you're not that strong and powerful, um, you know, I take that as an encouragement. But um, what does that mean for us? I'll tell you a quick story. Is um, when, we, when we started our church, we've told us many times, like we were homeless for the first year, and me and Eric were driving down Josephine, and we were looking at warehouses, and I felt the Lord say, stop. Stop trying to make it happen. And so me and Eric said, or Eric and I said, okay. And so we just said, all right, Lord, if you want us to have a place, you're going to have to bring it to us. And a couple months later, uh, the guy who owned the building I was co-working in emailed me, and I never heard of him, didn't meet him, and he said, hey, I have this warehouse space, and God told me to give it rent-free to a church. So we took that as the Lord opening up the door and doing it for us. And here we are still, I think, uh, uh, what was it, probably 2013 or, or 2014 when we renovated the space and moved in here. And it was clearly God opened the door for us to be here. Um, last week on um, Monday, or two weeks ago on Monday, I was sick in the bed with the flu. And I got this phone call from a, a, a number I didn't know. They called again. And they wouldn't stop calling me, so finally I answered, or I called them back, we played phone tag, and it was uh, one of the owners of this building. And uh, the, own, the people who own this building live in, are, are from California, but they have a representative who lives in um, Grand Prairie. And so this, this man, he called me, he said, hey, it's Monday, I'm flying in um, on Wednesday to meet with you. <laughs> and I've like, you know, got fever, <laughs> and I've got double fever. And so um, I meet with him on Wednesday, and there's another guy with him, and they said, hey, this guy approached us, and they're buying this building, and they're going to tear down all the self-storage, and they're going to build apartments, and they're going to convert all of this building into office space. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, when? And they said, we'd like to get started spring of 2020, and we, we're kicking everyone out at the end of the year. And I was like, all right, thanks for meeting with me in February and giving me a heads up. So, apparently, the Lord is closing the door here, <laughs> and which we've known um, for two years. We've known we're maxed out at our capacity. I'd like to have more than one bathroom. I don't know about your bladder. Um, our kids' space isn't awesome. and doesn't really serve our kids very well. We're out of room here, um, but we haven't, nothing's happened. And, uh, you know, we've, we've looked, we've talked to people, we've talked to brokers, um, and there's just, the doors are always been closed. And so we, all right, Lord, we're here and we're faithful until you do something. And so at the beginning of this year, we felt like the Lord saying, 2019 is the year um, that he's got a new place for us. And we'd like for that to be downtown. We'd like for that to be in this community, but we don't, you know, I don't know. We don't, we don't know. And so, um, you know, I just took that meeting as, our plan was to, you know, leave sometime this year, and now that has to happen. <laughs> so um, I don't have any, just so you know, I don't have any anxiety about it. I'm not stressed. Um, the Lord has my attention, but I'm not freaking out. God's going to do something great. And so um, when I read this message to Philadelphia, I, I am like, Lord, we need you to open a door. Um, because there are churches that are bigger than us and they've got a lot of money and they could go and they could, 
they could, they could kick down a door and buy something and do something. And that's just not us. We don't have uh, the number of people. We don't have um, the timeline to do that. And we don't have uh, the money to do that. So we, if, if we're going to have a new place, which we have to have, um, we're going to need to do something. So um, at the beginning of the year, I was I shared this, I think, a few weeks ago. I was talking to Bishop Sandy, and he, and he came. He's like, man, there's so many people. You know, why, hasn't, why haven't y'all found a new place yet? And immediately I felt the Lord say, because y'all haven't fasted and prayed as a church yet. And it's kind of like the Lord's waiting on us. So um, I want to um, transition to um, how can we um, uh, align ourselves together so that we can, um, one, ask. We have not because you ask not. And two, um, align ourselves with what God's doing so that we can recognize when he does open a door. So we're going to... Um, uh, use the season of Lent as, as a natural way to do that. So um, I want to talk about fasting for a little bit. And um, here, here's what it means to fast. Let me start with what fasting is not. Fasting is not a hunger strike. So just you got to know that. Um, fasting is not, um, I'm going to um, hurt myself until God says enough, finally I'll do it. That's not fasting. And if you've ever approached fasting that way, I'm sorry, I, you might have wasted your time <laughs> and, um, and some meals. Uh, that's not how God works, okay? Um, um, Jesus teaches us that God's a good father who lavishly provides for us. Ephesians 3 ends, to him who can exceedingly and abundantly do more than we can ask or think. Um, God's not a deadbeat dad, and he doesn't need his kids to go on hunger strikes to provide for them. So that fasting is not going on a hunger strike. Uh, second, fasting is not trying to twist God's arm. That's, that's not how this works. That's, that's a real um, warped view of, of prayer. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, there's this awesome story of, called the Transfiguration. Many of you have, know about the Transfiguration where Jesus and a few of his disciples go up to the mountain. They're fasting and praying. They see the glory of the Lord. Um, I think it's uh, Moses and Elijah come down to talk about Jesus about the cross. And Peter says, let's build a tent here. And they're like, no, no, no. The audible voice of God cuts Peter off. That's got to be a tough day. Like, like when God cuts you off, that's not good. So um, they come down the mountain, and they meet a crowd, and there's a father with a boy who's demon-possessed, and he brought his kid, his kid to the disciples to cast out this demon, and they couldn't do it, and they're frustrated, and everyone down there is just having a bad time. Jesus comes down from the mountain and takes the kid and... Um, you know, cast the demon out, and then the disciples go, how did you do that? And Jesus gives this incredible line that most people don't understand. He says, this one can only come out by fasting and prayer. And um, a lot of people speculate, like, well, Jesus didn't fast and pray in that moment. Well, no, he was fasting and praying on the mountain, and he came down with the power of God and could do things and operate in ways that he couldn't do before. And so what that gives us a clue in is that there's something that happens spiritually whenever we pray and fast. And how I understand it is basically um, it, we align ourselves under God's will. It's, uh, to me, it's all about alignment. Um, you know, I, how I understand it is, you know, um, you know, the faucet is always on, but sometimes our bucket isn't underneath the faucet. And so whenever I fast and pray, it's like I'm just moving my bucket to get underneath to where I'm getting more of it, okay? And so um, that's kind of how I, how I 
view all of prayer. I mean, even like prayer in general, if people ask me to pray for them, um, I, most of the time, I don't start with, um, Jesus, will you do X? I start with prayers of alignment, like we renounce our sinful nature. We renounce our will. We, we, we give this to you. We, uh, we surrender. Even, I don't know if you caught it, but when I started praying, I didn't do this, I'm just out of habit. Lord, we give you our intuitions and our preferences and our wills. That's aligning ourselves. That's uh, denying our flesh, denying the ways of this world, and saying, God, we want your way. The Lord's prayer starts off with this. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That's a prayer of alignment. And so prayer and fasting, see it as not a hunger strike, but alignment. The second thing that I like to think of with, with prayer and fasting is um, whenever I pray and fast, it's like my radar gets clearer stronger and like it's in 4K and has a great distance. I just, it's like the antenna goes above the clouds whenever I'm, I'm just aware of things that I'm not and I'm conscious of things when I'm not. And so it helps just get my attention. And I don't know if you've ever fasted and prayed and you felt that, but, but generally like, you know, I hear God's voice clearer um, when I'm fasting and praying. If I ever get stuck and I'm like, God, I'm not here, I'll, just, I'll fast and pray and that generally uh, turns the radar into 4K, so to speak. And the, the last uh, kind of thing I want to share with you is prayer and fasting is like tuning an instrument. Um, I have a musical background, so this really makes sense to me, but there's this great, this, this is an awesome thing, is if you're in a room that has some pretty good acoustics and you've got a grand piano, you could open the lid of that grand piano and then you could take a violin over to the piano and you could hold it in your left hand. And if that violin is tuned to the same frequency as the corresponding uh, strings are on the piano, you could strike the piano and the violin will resonate and start making sounds. And you can literally kind of reverberate and play the violin by playing the piano because they are tuned to the same frequency. And we call that resonance. You know, you even, um, I don't know if you've ever said something like, oh, that really resonates with me, you know? Or even, I don't know, does a sermon resonate with you right now? Yeah. I can tell, I, I said fasting, and many of you are like, this is not resonated with me, <laughs> right? It means we're not in tune, we're not in sync. And so um, I want to encourage, and I just feel the Lord saying, hey, gathering Midtown, y'all need to align yourselves. You need to get your radar clearer. You need to uh, tune your heart and your will to my will. And that's what I really see this um, season of the next six weeks being, is just us bringing our violin over to the piano and making sure it's tuned exactly how, that, how the Lord's piano is tuned so that when he strikes a note, we all see it, feel it, discern it, and it resonates with us. Does that make sense? Cool. All right. I want to read you a great quote on, um, on, on, on the subject by one of my heroes, Dallas Willard. He's got a great book on spiritual disciplines called The Spirit of the Disciplines. There's another great book. Um, by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Disciplines. If, if spiritual disciplines suck to you, you need to read those two books because there's not, an under, there's not a good understanding. I mean, those are the best two books that I know of that really get to the heart of what spiritual disciplines are. Here's what Willard says on, and this is one of the greatest things I've ever read on the subject. He says, In fasting, we abstain in some significant way from food and possibly from drink as well. This discipline teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly, which is why we don't probably do it. 
it will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much our peace depends upon the pleasures of eating. Does your peace depend on what you eat? It, all, it may also bring to mind how we are using food pleasure to assuage the discomforts caused in our bodies by faithless and unwise living and attitudes, things like lack of self-worth, meaningless work, purposeless existence, or lack of rest or exercise. If nothing else, though, it will certainly demonstrate how powerful and clever our body is in getting its own way against our strongest resolves. Great quote. So um, I, we made a, a little guide for you. You should be sitting on it. I'm sure you have it. And on um, one side, the side that has the little frame, is just some fasting, frequently asked questions. And um, I want to um, go through, um, and if you like that quote, it's there on the bottom for you, because often I share good quotes and people want them, and here it is. I want to encourage you to take this, put it in your Bible. Um, I want to encourage you to consider fasting at least one meal or the entire day or a significant appetite on Fridays during Lent with our church family. And so I'm see, during Lent, I'm seeing Fridays as like Friday facility fast for the family. That's freaking awesome. I don't know. Just, just <laughs> come up with things to start with F, right? That are appropriate to say in church. So, um, so I, I would like that to just, hey, would you consider on Fridays um, significantly fasting for the purpose of, Lord, we need a new place. We need a new place in the city. We're at capacity. You've blessed us. We've been faithful with a little. Um, we sense that God's at, saying, I, you know, I want to give you more. And um, real estate down here is stupid, crazy expensive. And we're a small church. And so if we're going to stay in the heart of our city, we need a miracle from God, okay? And um, this one perhaps only comes about by fasting and prayer, right? So... Fridays are for that. Uh, the second is uh, be creative and experiment with this. Um, this doesn't have to be boring. Spiritual disciplines don't have to be boring. You know, if your first gut instinct is this stinks, you're, you're going about it all wrong. Like, you can have fun with this. Um, do explore, third thing, do explore other appetites you could fast from, um, such as sports, um, Entertainment, sweets, coffee, alcohol, the internet, Netflix, mindless consumption, social media. Um, I've got a friend who, during Lent, their family, they have small children, they fast electricity. And so at night, they don't turn on the lights, and they, they light candles. And they use that as a way to teach their kids about the darkness in the world and the darkness in ourselves, and that Jesus is the light. One of the cool things about Lent is the word Lent comes from the Latin word that means lengthen which refers to the lengthening of daylight in the springtime. That's why it's called Lent. Is because as spring is approaching, each day is getting, the, the daylight hours are getting longer by about a minute or two on each side of sunrise and sunset. And so um, just as creation is uh, experiencing more and more daylight during Lent, we are experiencing more and more of the light of Jesus. Well, by the end of Lent, generally, there's more light at the end of the day than when they started, and they get to talk about as they get closer to the cross, their home is filled with more and more light. So what a, that sounds like an awesome, very creative way to fast, but then to teach um, and to experience this whole thing about light and darkness. I know another guy who um, loves to uh, sleep. He's not a morning person. He's a night owl. But during Lent, he sets his alarm for 5 a.m., and he wakes up earlier than he wants to, 
just to spend time with the Lord. And that's his Lent discipline. He doesn't fast from food. He fasts from sleeping in and uses that. So you see how this doesn't have to be just about food. Um, but you can get really, really creative with it. I know people who fast ice cream because they love ice cream. Or I've, I've known people who were like Spurs fanatics and they fasted watching or consuming or knowing anything about those Spurs during that season, which sounds like, like blasphemy in San Antonio. But, but you know, you, you get it. Like even as I'm talking, the Lord's probably already brought an appetite that you really, really love that you don't want to do away with. And perhaps that's the Holy Spirit in case you didn't recognize his voice. Um, next thing is set clear boundaries. Uh, set a start date and an end date. Don't just say, well, I'm going to at some point or I'm going to start, but I'm not going to finish. Because if you don't set an end date, your body has a very clever way of convincing you that, oh, no, you've done it enough. So set, start, and start, and, and end dates. And, um, and then lastly, uh, view fasting as a way to concentrate on, focus on, and align yourself with God. View it as a way of getting your bucket underneath the faucet of the, of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, okay, a couple of don'ts. Um, don't share your fasting with everyone or anyone. Uh, Matt, Jesus teaches about this in Matthew, especially on social media. Um, don't do that. You know, I don't know if anyone does that. I don't know if that's a thing, but if you're fasting, the world doesn't need to know about that. Uh, you know, tell your spouse, right? But you don't need to, to parade it. Um, keep it private between you and the Lord. That's a serious thing. Uh, second, um, don't fast from food if you're pregnant, <laughs> um, have a medical condition, or have a history with eating disorders. Um, you know, it's not wise for everybody to fast from food. Um, so, um, you know, if, if you think that could be you or you have medical conditions, like we're not saying you should curb your health for that. No, 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 no. Like God wants you to be healthy, um, you know, fast social media or so, you know, like f- pick something else. So I want to encourage you, especially if you're pregnant. I don't know that anyone would do that anyway, but um, don't, please don't mishear me. And then the last one, you know, like I said, don't view fasting as a hunger strike or a way to force God's hand. Okay. So on the back, um, in an effort to make it personal to you, we've got some space for you to fill out. We have started, this isn't comprehensive, but the first thing is our next place. You know, our church is on 875 East Ashby Place, but this is not our place. And we're asking God to open the door for our next place. So here's a couple of things to get you started on how to pray. Because the last thing we want you to do is to fast and pray and sit there and go, God help us, and that's it. Oh, you, you can do more than that. So here are some ways you can begin to pray. And of course, um, as you do that, I'm sure the Lord will lead you into other areas. Um, the second thing is um, uh, at, the church is more than a building, and so I don't want this to be just about a physical um, building. So, um, you know, um, what if you fasted and prayed during the season for your family, um, your spouse, your kids? Um, or, you know, you got mom and dad or brother and sister, you can call them and say, hey, um, I'm going to spend Lent praying, and is there, like, what's one thing I can pray for you for? I mean, you know, you can do that. Fill, the, fill that in there, and you might need more space. The third, pray for our children. We've got many families, uh, many exhausted parents, children, and we've got at least eight women that are pregnant that I know of and who would probably love the church praying and fasting for them. And then uh, fourth, um, we all know people who need Jesus in significant ways. And um, let's pray for them too. Um, now, here's last thing, and then we'll, we'll be done. I want to encourage you to uh, write this down um, somewhere, either at your journal or here. Um, there's something that happens when you, um, 
when you write something down, and I, I forgot it. I, it's on my desk. I didn't bring it down here. But I'm prone to, to forget things. And so if I don't write things down and then write the date that when God answered it, I'll forget his goodness. And people close to me know I've become like um, crazy with remembering dates because anytime I experience this incredible thing of God or his faithfulness, I put it in my calendar and put it on repeat so that I can always remember, oh, on this day three years ago, God did this for us. And I've just gotten to where I've I've been able to remember um, how God answers our prayers. Um, Often we'll pray and then God will answer it, but there's been some time that's gone in between and we don't recognize that God just answered our prayer and we move on and we don't give him thanks and we don't, it doesn't build our faith. So I want to encourage you to do this. The, the sheet I wanted to bring down was when we um, first came in here, we had an architect and a general contractor who make a lot of money doing what they do for a living and are really good. They came in and they said, this could never be a church. There's five things that are deal breakers here. Not just one, there's five things. And I said, okay, thank you. And then, um, but I still had this thing where like, okay, the guy whose name was on our building emailed me and said, God told me to give it. So, I, you know, had I not had that, I would have believed them. So I typed up this page of like, here are the five things we need to pray for. And we, we were meeting um, upstairs and we put it on the wall and every Sunday we would pray for them. And about every other month, God would cross one of those things off the list in like crazy ways. And I wrote the dates on there and that's taped right above my computer to this day. Right now it's on my desk. I took it down. I forgot to bring it, but it's right up there. I could show you. And it's this reminder every time I sit at my desk of God's faithfulness, of how he answers prayers and how the experts said, there's five reasons why you can't come worship here, but we prayed and God moved mountains for us. And so I want to encourage you, get a pen, write it down. And then when he answers it, Right, cross it out, put the date on that, tape it up somewhere, and it will really build your faith. God really does desire to give good gifts to his children. He loves our church. We've been faithful. We've been at this thing for six and a half years. It's all about the glory of God. We're at capacity. God's God's gonna do something this year for us, and it's gonna be incredible. I have no idea what it is. This is gonna be awesome. But I know it only happened when we get together as a family and we pray and we fast for it. So, sound good? Awesome. I, um, Ash Wednesday prayer service, March 6th, um, that's the kickoff to all this. So if you can come that Wednesday night at 6.30 and pray with us and gather together, uh, we've got a huge need in the life of our church. We're in a crucial season um, of seeing God move and, and we need prayer. We need you to come pray. All right, let's... Um, let's uh, continue, and um, went a little long today, apologize, but hey, prayer and fasting, we just fast lunch, how about that, do that, Father, we uh, recognize, and we hold on to that promise in the book of James, that every good and perfect gift is from above, that it comes from the Father of lights, and um, whatever the need is, whether the need is salvation, whether the need is the repairing of our faith, whether the need is uh, reconciliation in relationships or healing from sickness and infirmities, whether the need is um, a building. Lord, we know that you care deeply for us as your kids. 
And so we just surrender our will, our desires, our preferences, what we want, our timeline. Lord, I give you my impatient timeline. Um, we want to get on your timetable. We want to get on your will. And we just invite your kingdom to come. We invite your will to supersede our will. And more than anything, God, we, we need your presence. We need your blessing. Um, not the gifts that your presence and your blessing brings. You are our refuge, not a building. You are our shelter, not a building. You are the most important resource here, God. So we just ask for more. Help us in this season of um, taking a deeper step towards you in the season of Lent. Help us in our prayer and our fasting to, um, to not do it so that we might earn something or prove something. But Lord, help us to do it in an effort just to get, it, get our flesh out of the way of what you want to do. And we need your help. We need your grace to carry us. But for those here today who are um, maybe kicking the tires with you or um, not sure where they are in relationship to you, I ask that you would bless them. That you would help them to become more aware of your presence and your love for them. That even through a message on um, open doors and new places and fasting and prayer, Lord, help them to hear the good news of the gospel, that you love them exactly how they are and where they are, and that there's nothing they could ever do to make you run away from them. Overwhelm them with your presence and with your peace and with your blessing. That's in the name of Christ we pray.